Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back, folks. Raphael Goyanechi, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission, joins us. We'll talk about the most recent crime trends. They issue a report every week and a number of other issues about the juvenile justice system, some of the challenges that we're having there. But I wanted to start today talking about the Office of Inspector General report into the investigation of the potential um, exposure of confidential materials concerning NOPD officer Jeffrey Vappi. And folks will remember this investigation. Rafi, welcome to the show. Hey, my pleasure, Noel. How are you doing? So Good. Uh, Rafi, I read through the report. This is an interesting insight into a number of different issues. Uh, and and what, what struck me with almost every witness that they interviewed, there was um, a sense of reluctance, a lack of trust in the system, and almost an uncertainty as, as to whether or not they individually were being set up by someone. It seemed to me to be a very dangerous jambalaya. Your thoughts? All right. So what you're referring to is the Office of Inspector General report looking into the leaked confidential materials involving the investigation involving Officer Jeffy Vappi, who's one of the mayor's executive protection team members. So essentially, this is the fifth, uh, I guess, report about the relationship and what transpired uh, between Officer Vappi and Mayor Cantrell. So first, you had the media disclosing the fact that uh, you have uh, four members of the mayor's executive prote protection team, but only one member of the team was allowed to enter and leave and stay for protracted periods of time uh, in the mayor's uh, Pontabla apartment. And that was all memorialized by either photographs or video footage of the comings and goings of the mayor and officer Bappy. Then you had, because of that, you had PIB announce that they were going to conduct an investigation to determine if any policies, rules, or procedures were violated. And 
soon as that investigation was announced, you had the mayor commenting that this was a witch hunt. And her comments uh, about that being a witch hunt was, I believe, purposeful and intentional because it sent a message to the New Orleans Police Department Public, Public Integrity Bureau. And it also sent a message to the city attorney's office that the mayor believed that this investigation had no merit and shouldn't have been conducted. So fast forward, PIB starts to interview officers that were members of the executive protection team and come to find out that their statements were provided by PIB on a thumb drive to the city attorney's office before the investigation was completed. Not only that, but a member of the city attorney's office actually sat in on the second interview of Officer Vappi. That never occurs. So you had uh, some very unusual circumstances occurring. Now, while that investigation was underway, you had the federal consent decree monitor that reviewed what PIB was investigating and said, wait a minute, you're not conducting this investigation, looking at all of the allegations that were made. This is an example of a double standard that when officers leave the force, they do exit interviews. And one of the issues that officers that were departing would repeatedly say part of their reason in leaving is because they perceive there to be a double standard with respect to the way some investigations are conducted by PIB. That's exactly what the federal consent decree monitor documented in a number of areas. And after uh, he documented all of that, the federal judge that's presiding over the city's consent decree ordered the city to come in and show and present evidence why their investigation or why the city's investigation of Officer Vappi was in conformity with the consent decree. There was a four-day um, hearing conducted in which city officials and police department officials all testified. The judge reviewed all of the testimony, all the evidence, all the facts, and concluded that the city had not met its burden of proof, that there was, in fact, uh, matters that weren't investigated uh, by PIB, and there was essentially a double standard, and concluded that the uh, way that the VAPI investigation was conducted was in violation of the consent decree. So the only reason that the judge didn't sanction the city is because the new superintendent came in and said, wait a minute, um, here, you're right, we're going to propose a remedial action plan that will reduce the potential from this occurring going forward. And the judge elected to defer issuing any financial sanctions against the city. So fast forwarded to this most recent report, you have the Inspector General's office trying to determine how, this, how these tapes leaked out. And Essentially, they said they could find no evidence that this was done intentionally, but the reason that they couldn't find any evidence is because of the sloppy manner in which these, these uh, statements were 
provided from the police department to the city attorney's office. Uh, they were provided on a thumb drive. The city has uh, an IT system that calls for evidence in all cases to be put into the system so that there will be a footprint, a digital footprint of what goes in, what goes out, who accesses it, and what was the purpose of them accessing these records. That didn't occur with respect to this. Normally, the city attorney's office only conducts uh, um, investigations or only defends police department investigations if they're appealed to the Civil Service Commission. Officer Vappi was issued a reprimand, which isn't appealable. So you had the mayor saying that this was a witch hunt. And you, as a result of that, that was a message that the average person, including myself, took to mean that the city attorney's office sees that their boss doesn't think that this should go anywhere. So they get all of the statements before the investigative report is written, and then they leak it out. And the inspector general documented that that could very well have been a violation of the police officer Bill of Rights. And if Officer Vappi had been found or adjudicated to have violated provisions of the police department's policies and procedure, and he was sanctioned beyond just a reprimand, that would have been his defense that his officer bill of rights were violated by those records being leaked out. So you have the inspector general's office documenting that. You also had the inspector general's office documenting the fact that the Office of Independent Police Monitor, which is the city's independent police monitor, obtained a copy of these recordings and disseminated it to members of the city council. And the city ordinance requires the Office of Independent Police Monitor to cooperate with the Office of Inspector General. When the Inspector General's office contacted the independent police monitor and asked for her cooperation, this report documents that she didn't provide it. And he had to go to the board of directors of the independent police monitor who ordered her to comply. So you have multiple layers of, of uh, deviations from either city policy, city procedures, and city ordinances in this. And I think there's probably, we're never gonna know who leaked it out, whether it was intentional or not, the report basically concludes that um, they can't determine if it was intentional or not. They found no evidence that was in intentional. But how does something like this occur? And because of the unusual um, circumstances in this particular case, either it is a, uh, uh, just a coincidence or it was something that was purposeful. The Inspector General's office is saying they couldn't make that determination. There wasn't any evidence that it was purposeful. But that doesn't mean some people refuse to cooperate, including the Office of Independent Police Monitor in this. To me, the most important takeaways in this, we're never going to uh, figure out exactly what happened. So what's more important to me is what the Inspector General's office recommended to prevent this from occurring in the future, or at least reducing the potential of something like this happening again. And it's as simple 
as uh, requiring the city and the police department and the city attorney's office any type of evidence that transmitted from the police department to the uh, city attorney's office has to go through the evidence portal with the city of New Orleans so that we can't have thumb drives floating around out there. Keep in mind, when those thumb drives were leaked out to third parties, the media got a hold of them, and everybody was aware of who said what, including members of the executive protection team. And maybe it was coincidence, but maybe it wasn't. Two of the members of the executive protection team who gave statements to PIB, and their statements were publicly disseminated, meant that the mayor was aware of what those people said about there. And their comments and their statements weren't very favorable to the mayor or to Officer Vappi. When Officer Vappi was reprimanded, he was returned to the executive protection team. And those two uh, executive protection team members that gave statements that were unfavorable to the mayor and unfavorable to Officer Vappi both elected to retire from the executive protection team. So that's the consequence of double standards and this type of breach in security, that it not only erodes public confidence in the system, it also undermines the confidence of officers for the Public Integrity Division to treat every case in accordance with the facts, the law, and policies and procedures. And in this particular case, there's no question that there were deviations from standard operating procedures, uh, but we're never going to know all of the details of who did what, when, and whether it was intentional or not. But, I, I, you know, this is probably something that the public is tired of hearing about. Uh, but I think it's very, very important what the Inspector General's office stated in their report, mainly from the standpoint of reducing the potential of something like this going forward. I, I agree and I disagree, Rafi, because part of the problem is a lot of this stuff was covered by standard operating procedures. And I said, you know, what's evident is that we had the wrong people in these jobs because I don't know what they mm -hmm. feared because they just decided that they weren't going to do it, you know. And when you, when you say when these individuals are doing things and, and uploading information, actually taking statements on their own personal cell phones in the PIB office, and those same individuals cannot articulate how to upload that audio and or video taken into evidence.com, which is a software that you referred to many times, that is a tragedy. Right. Because that's the software that documents anyone who views anything within that software has a complete audit trail, right? Yes. And the head of PIB admits in his statement that he does not know how to upload an audio statement into evidence.com. Mm -hmm. Which is indicative well, you know of you've got the wrong people in these jobs. They don't care. And if they don't know how to get that done, which is the primary tool to preserve the sanctity of each and every investigation that they involve themselves in, I mean, come on, what are we doing? 
Right. You know, right. and I look, I, the IG is, is spot on with every recommendation that he makes. But the fact of the matter is we have people in positions that obviously don't know what they're doing. It, they just can't. They simply just don't care. It, it well, can't be that they this this was uh, an accident. They forgot it was this or was that. No, this is your primary function. You conduct most of uh, the most sensitive investigation in the policing business. You would agree to that, right? I oh, mean, absolutely, absolutely. How, how can the head of the unit not know everything there is to know about Evidence.com? Right. Right. That's being well, utilized department-wide, that's, that's bringing in all of the body-worn camera, video and audio and everything else, and will be conducting investigations about that. And you don't know anything about it? You don't know how to draw it down? You don't know how to enter? You don't know, you don't know if somebody manipulated it? You're not, you haven't familiarized yourself with any of this? They simply don't care. So, so that's the what the federal monitor documented. That is yeah. what the judge, Judge Morgan, conducted that four-day hearing, and she came to the same exact conclusions uh, that you did based on this, that the police department didn't follow their own policies, rules, and procedures. And the only thing that prevented the city from being sanctioned by the judge was the fact that we have a new superintendent, and the new superintendent said, wait, I'm going to create uh, a corrective action plan and uh, give us a chance to implement that. So what everybody knows uh, is that this VAPI case is something that uh, smells. It wasn't properly investigated. The discipline wasn't uh, commensurate with uh, some of the um, evidence that was provided but wasn't considered by PIB. And I think that, you know, what we're seeing right now is, you know, the fifth rendition of this, this saga that's been playing out for over a year right now. And that's part of the reason that the NOPD is still under a consent decree. It's probably a major part in why we have a new superintendent. Keep in mind that when mm -hmm. PIB was conducting this investigation after the mayor called it a witch hunt, uh, the mayor refused to cooperate with PIB. They did ask her to make a statement. She did decline. And uh, they also asked the former superintendent, Sean Ferguson, to make a statement. He declined in all of this. So the people that you would expect to cooperate the leaders that were in positions to know, they elected not to cooperate with the police department's investigation in this. And that's, I think, in large part, part of the justification for the judge in ruling the way that she did. And, you know, it's been, it's not a question of debate. It is the police department didn't follow their own policies, rules, and procedures. It has had profound impact on the morale of officers, it contributes to the attrition rate with the police department, and it also erodes public confidence in the police department. Yeah, it was interesting when I got to the part I started highlighting and, and you know, putting stars next to this, that the head of PIB, and thankfully he's the former head of PID, Captain Kendrick Allen, he used his own personally owned handheld recorder. Did he put it in evidence.com? No. He wasn't even sure the format that he was recording in, because that's important. 
he put it on his own personal Google Drive. Yeah, I mean, but they put it on a thumb drive and gave it to the city attorney's office, but they couldn't get it in the evidence portal. Yeah, yeah. how much yeah. how much evidence do we have that was generated in PID that's floating all, all over in Never Neverland? Who even knows? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is crazy. You see this in third world countries. You don't see this in forward-leaning progressive police departments. We'll be right back. We're visiting with Rafael Goyaneci, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys. And visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast celebrate and save at ashley's anniversary sale with hot buys your choice of color starting at just 3.99 ashley sleep mattresses starting at 250 plus receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like stearns and foster temper pedic purple and beauty rest black with 60 month special financing only at ashley subject to credit approval no minimum purchase required minimum monthly payment down payment tax and delivery may be required see store for details Welcome back, folks. We are visiting with Raphael Goyaneci, the president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. You've been reading any number of stories relative to juvenile crime. Uh, it seems as though it's becoming more and more difficult to handle. Some of the stats are revealing the underbelly of the juvenile justice system and what's being done, and more importantly, what's not being done. Rafi, um, a lot of the stats that you guys are reporting out, and, and I'll say it again, you're the only ones reporting it out, um, not a pretty picture. No, I mean, so the general numbers of the various categories of violent crime are all down across the board this year. That That's the good news. And they're down uh, with 
us having fewer police officers today than we had in the beginning of January when the year started. Um, we'll be starting next year with probably fewer officers than what we have today. But the numbers have gone down. And when you just look at the numbers of homicides, if you look at the numbers of shootings, you look at the numbers of carjackings and armed robberies, you see that decrease. Well, what's contributed to that decrease? I mean, the, num the decrease is the what you always talk about, uh, mm -hmm. the why. So I think part of the why that we're seeing the decrease across the board in the various violent crime uh, categories of crime is the fact that you've seen the police department step up enforcement for weapons felonies, property felonies, and drug felonies. So as you know, and, and people in law enforcement realize that you know the criminal population are generalist. They're not just specialists. So the people that are committing some of the crimes of violence are also committing weapons felonies, property felonies, and drug felonies. So if the police are starting to arrest the other categories of crime at a higher frequency, that means that some of those people will stay in bail. Other of those offenders will be released under electronic monitoring. And I think that the fact that there's a consequence and they have pending felony charges against them, it also tends to reduce some of the recidivism rate there. So I think part of the why that we're seeing a decrease in all of the categories of crime, uh, violent crime, is because the police department is focusing on some of the other areas of crime that they had de-emphasized over the last couple of years. So when someone dials 911, that means a crime has already been committed. When it comes to weapons enforcement and drug enforcement, the police don't have to wait for someone to dial 911. They can self-initiate based on their observations, it's called proactive policing. So what you're seeing is that weapon felony arrests have increased 17% through the end of November versus the same point in time last year. And drug felony arrests had increased 13% uh, over that same period of time. So when you're starting in, in property uh, felony arrests have increased 22%. So I think you're seeing some of the correlation between the police being much more strategic, being much more proactive, and realizing that you know because of their numbers, they have to uh, prioritize the people that they can prove offenses. And what you've seen is in areas like the French Quarter, uh, there has been a spike in weapons arrest. You're starting to see in some of the other districts around town an uptick in felony drug arrests out there. The people that are involved in drug dealing, the people that are bringing guns into the French Quarter, uh, some of them are bringing them for self-protection. But keep in mind, if it's a felony that they're being booked with, it's not carrying a concealed weapon. It is a convicted felon in possession of a firearm. It is a uh, firearm that was stolen. It was a firearm uh, that has been made fully automatic. So those are the felonies. Carrying a concealed weapon is just a misdemeanor. 
So those are felony arrests. I, I haven't even gone into documenting the numbers of misdemeanor arrests uh, with respect to carrying concealed weapons, but the people that are carrying concealed weapons without a permit, in many instances, by the police uh, investigating, stopping, and arresting them for that, they're taking those weapons out of commerce. They're also, I think, preventing some of those weapons from being involved in uh, other crimes, whether those people were the, could have been the victim of a robbery. Uh, or uh, may have used that weapon in self-defense, and sometimes that doesn't necessarily result in them striking the intended target, and you see uh, innocent victims that better. So I think that there are a number of factors that are responsible for the reduction in crime, but one of the ones that I think is overlooked is the fact that the police department uh, has pivoted this year and is appreciably uh, emphasizing some of the other categories of crime and prioritizing those, and that has had the uh, impact of reducing, I believe, or contributing to the reductions in the, the violent crime categories. So we find ourselves at the present time on uh, day 344, right, and uh, of the year, and when you tend to look at some of these uh, crime numbers, although they are down, as you point out, um, in, in, over last year, uh, when, when you have um, shootings and uh, at a number that we have them right now, I think it's at 346, if my memory serves me correct. Right. Yes, you're right. Uh, yeah. that, that's more than one a day. You have armed robberies at 341. That's effectively... Uh, one a day. These are still very uh, troubling stats. I mean, you know, 2022, uh, as you well know, was kind of a, an anomaly, you know, year because of uh, coming off of the pandemic. And even some of our pandemic numbers were, were crazy in some crime categories, way down in others. Uh, but when we go back to 2019, um, you know, you're looking at still huge increases, 88%, 43%, 43%. Armed robbery is the only number that's down of the uh, the most violent crimes. Right. So armed robbery is the category that's down uh, over the last five years. So if you, go, if you look at homicides, we've had 213, and knock on wood, we've had no homicides so far this month. So 213 versus the same period of time, 262 last year. That's good news. That's progress. But if you go back and you look at 19, 20, and 21, 213 homicides is higher than we had at that point in time in any of those three previous years. So the fact that last year was essentially our high watermark and comparing this year with last year is comparing the year after Katrina with Katrina, you know, with flooding and, and whatever. So last year was the worst year we've had in 30-plus years. If you look, go back and look when the police department was more fully staffed, when you had, you know, a DA that had some experience uh, and they had higher conviction rates, you're looking at reductions across the board in all the violent crime categories. So 
you know, what we're doing is showing trends, not just this year versus last year, but over the last several years. And just like you've emphasized, we want to know not just the what, but the why. And some of the, the reasons of the why are that we know that we've got fewer police officers, but if we're going to blame the police department for, for crime going up, uh, and in some instances that's somewhat unfair given the circumstances that we have uh, uh, a well-documented deficiency in manpower. You have a DA that, uh, at least during the first two years of his administration, who was still trying to learn how to be a DA and didn't know what he didn't know about being a prosecutor. You're starting to see a reversal now. Uh, he's a smart guy. He's starting to realize that some of his policies that when he was running for DA, once he was elected to that office and has to sit across the desk and look victims and witnesses in the eye, he's starting to recognize that some of those campaign policies don't really work uh, in, in the practical world. And to his credit, he has reversed himself in every one of his major platform uh, 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 pledges when he was running for DA. So you've got a DA that is learning on the job. Um, I've, I've paid attention to the fact that uh, he is now charging juveniles as adults, and he's getting convictions. And that wasn't the case in the first two years. And it was uh, uh, when he got there, he purged all of the um, juvenile that had been transferred from juvenile court to adult court purged all of his predecessors' juvenile prosecutions only over the last two years for him to reverse that, where he's now charging juveniles not only with homicides, but also non-fatal crimes of violence like armed robberies and carjackings. So I think that there's a number of factors that are contributing to the reduction in crime. And I think, you know, the enforcement by the police department in some of the other areas, as well as, I think, an uptick in policies and better outcomes from the district attorney's office are contributing to uh, some of the reductions in crime. We're visiting with Raphael Goyanechi, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. We'll be right back after the break, folks. Stay with us. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway sales event where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning hyundai models like the tech-filled tucson and kona as well as the spacious palisade enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with america's best warranty and three years or thirty-six thousand miles of complimentary maintenance but hurry in these deals won't last add more joy to your journey at the hyundai getaway sales event now get zero percent apr or up to fifteen hundred bonus cash on the hyundai tucson now during the hyundai getaway sales event Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day 
the big tournament or one of the majors. We have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're visiting with Raphael Goinecci, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. Raphael, I'm hearing more and more that there's contemplation of having a special session on crime. We were just talking about Jason and, um, you know, campaigning in poetry and governing in prose. And once you get in and you realize and recognize exactly how all of these uh, dots you know, you connect these dots and how one thing affects other things. You begin to change in your style uh, that you will govern in that office. And the same as I think happened to Susan Hudson. Uh, she tries to hold true to a lot of her ideological bent, but is having a very difficult time articulating positions that align with it because of all of the disastrous issues that they're having internally. And sometimes I wonder whether or not they do the overall system more harm than good when they're promising things to people that they know they can't deliver on. I mean, you know, they didn't wake up one day in office and realize, you know, everything I talked about was just simply not true. And now we find ourselves in a different position. And I know the governor uh, warned against this complete total retreat over um, criminal justice reform. Um, we know that on many fronts, the Justice Reinvestment Act has failed us. It's, it's not delivered what, what it's done. What do you suspect, what, what path are we going to be headed down here in the near future? So, Newell, what you're referring to is the Justice Reinvestment Act. We passed that uh, legislation in 2017. And essentially what that legislation was about is the problem was too many people in the penitentiary. So the average person said, you know, there are too many people. What can we do to reduce crime? Well, that's not the approach Louisiana took. Louisiana took the approach that we're going to reduce the numbers of people in the penitentiary without reducing crime. We're just going to give them good time and let them be released quicker. And not only did they give them good time where they pled guilty or were convicted and were starting to roll out, But when they were released under supervision or placed under probation, they were earning good time while they were on probation or parole. So if they, uh, the whole idea of that legislation was to reinvest the savings from fewer people in the penitentiary into programs for offenders to reduce the potential of recidivism. And if they're going to accelerate their release from the penitentiary without uh, giving them adequate training and, and access to programs that reduce their recidivism, and then also reduce the amount of time that they're under supervision when they're released, we're setting ourselves up for failure. So I've seen And also not provide more supervision because the exactly. caseload is still is like double the national average. Oh, it's, it's, it's much higher than double the national average. I mean, we've got a little over 500 probation and parole agents for the entire state. So we've got 26, 27,000 people in state institutions right now. There's still a 50% recidivism rate. So that legislation that was supposed to reduce crime 
hasn't reduced crime. It's actually contributed to higher crime rates in the parishes. It has reduced the inmate population, but at the expense of crime. So, you know, your question is, what do I expect? I think that uh, there's going to be a deep dive into how effective these reforms are. They're going to look at some of the programs that the state's been paying for and ask, what's the success rate? Where are the statistics showing that the offenders that went through these programs have not recidivated? I don't think that they've checked any of that. So I think we're going to, there's going to be much more transparency and accountability. And I think some of the uh, decisions that were made in 2017 are going to be reviewed. And I expect that uh, you're going to see some, some changes with respect to the legislation that was approved in 17, not based on philosophy of whether it was a Democratic governor or Republican governor. It's going to be reversals based on the stats and what it has accomplished. And I think that's something that's long overdue. Well, I will point out you had a Republican legislature. So, I mean, you know, the party of the governors of no moment. You had a Republican legislature, and I'm glad that they're moving towards evidence-based outcomes. Let's study this. Let's, if you promise it, let's see if it's delivered. I don't fault those that want to try certain things if it's kind of reasonable, you know, in some sense. But when we don't want to study it to find out the efficacy of what we've done, then all the antenna go up and you you begin to wonder why, right? Yes, yes. As always, this hour went flying by, uh, but we always appreciate your time, your insight. Thank you so much for joining us. Rafael Goyaneci, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. Have a great week, Rafi. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. When we come back after the top of the news break, we will visit with Guy Williams, president, Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. Stick with us. We'll be right back. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. 
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.